Well, George, if it's cool, I'd love to pray, and then we'll jump right in. Does that work? Yeah. All right, let's let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for this this time. Pray for George and I's conversation. Pray it honors you and just helps a lot of people with their finances. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Cool. Now, once again, George, seriously, thanks for being on. And obviously, you work for Dave Ramsey at Ramsey Solutions. How do you land a job like that? Like, did, did you always want to work for Dave Ramsey? Did you know him previously? How did that happen? You know, I grew up in Boston and ended up finishing college in Mobile, Alabama. So I made this weird jump from the Northeast straight to the South. And the Financial Peace University was something that I kept hearing about because I didn't know about it coming from Boston. And so when it came time to graduate college and find a job, I knew about Dave through some of their personalities. Um, And so I was connected to them on social media and I love what they were putting out. And so I just applied for this internship to kind of just help with social media stuff because I had a degree in communication. I love marketing and social media and music. And so connecting with an audience using technology and and those kinds of things was exciting to me. And so I landed this internship that was like a two-month temp job. And uh, that turned into a full-time email marketing role, into a social media role, into eventually a host role as they saw me kind of on stage at our Battle of the Bands event where our internal Mm -hmm. team you know, kind of rallies against each other with music and we have a lot of fun. And so I decided to host that instead of doing the music. And they saw that and went, hey, that guy's he can hold himself on stage. Let's put him in a host role. And so it was kind of like I got a little more rope and a little more rope over nine years. And so it's been such a journey. But man, I would I would scrub the toilets here. I just love this place so much. I love the mission. I met my wife here. This place truly is my my family. My closest friends are here and I loved every minute of it. Wow, that's awesome. So obviously you kind of worked from a non-financial position, right? So social media marketing, different you studied communications. And where'd you go to college at? Did you happen to go to like South Alabama or University of Mobile? It was or? University of Mobile. I'm glad you know oh, it, yeah. my friend. Very I'm a, I'm small. A Pensacola, I'm a Pensacola guy. So oh, I'm nice. from born and raised, yeah, raised in Pensacola. So I'm I'm actually familiar. But, Not too far. Yeah, yes, I don't sir. have so, any formal training in like, oh wow, I went I was a certified financial planner for a decade. All of my authority comes from my experience of having done the Ramsey plan. I, I've been called the Ramsey test tube baby because I just went all in when I started here in 2013. And I had $40,000 in debt. I didn't come from money. My parents, you know, they they were immigrants from the Middle East. And so they kind of fell for all the normal American trappings of just kind of average and payments over here and payments over here. And let's just move the credit card to the 0% and let's play the game. And, you know, starting to work for Ramsey, I was like, oh, I don't have to play this game. I can just rise above the entire system and do it a whole different way. And that's so freeing. And so I got out of $40,000 of debt, met my wife here. We got married, started off our marriage debt-free. We got our first home and decided we don't want a mortgage for 30 years, not even 15 years. And so we paid off our mortgage in 26 months. And so that was just an incredible thing to go, we're in our early 30s with a paid-for home. How many other people need to hear that this can be done? You don't have to live with a payment forever. Oh yeah, man, you're a tank. That's awesome. I, uh, paying off your home is, you know, we own a home right now and obviously have our mortgage. And so for me, I paid off my student loans several years back and did the, you know, the big debt-free thing and, you know, rice and beans as Dave calls it, all the stuff and worked and paid all that off, which was great. And I got that paid off going into marriage, but the mortgage is like, it's oh man, they say, how do, they say, how do you eat an elephant? It's like one bite at a time. I'm like, my gosh, this is like five elephants here, man. Oh, this is, yeah. We got a long road ahead, but right. I mean, it's worth it in the end. And, you know, Dave obviously has some steps and you want to walk them in order and things like that. And, you know, all that's kind of in, in context. So obviously you've kind of walked the plan out and you have experience when it, 
you know, come to your financial education. You went to the school of hard knocks, not necessarily university to learn about financial stuff. So with your expertise, obviously right now, I think managing money can be difficult because of just whether it's the job situations or prices are going up and everything like that. What ways can someone win with money right now? Well, the first, it starts with believing that you can win with money. And so many people have lost hope. And so we get cynical, we complain on social media, we post memes about it, about how everything is so unaffordable. And that's fun for a season, but especially as believers, we can't stay there. Like we have too much hope to have no hope when it comes to Mm. money. And so until people get past that, we're not going to make any changes because your your thoughts connect to your actions and your beliefs turn into behaviors. And so as long as we stay there, we're never going to get out of this cycle. And so when you believe I'm going to get out of debt. I can do this. And so that's what we've done for many years. And Dave, uh, we ride the coattails of Dave there, of just having people believe that it's possible for them, no matter where they come from, no matter what their background is. And everyone has a, has a reason. Some of it's excuses. Some of it's a legitimate hardship. Yeah. But until you believe, man, I don't have to stay here. One year from now, things are going to be different. Ten years from now, things are going to be very different. I'm going to change my family tree. I've had it with this. I'm sick and tired of living paycheck to paycheck. I'm not going to retire broke like my mom and dad. And you need to find that why. And for a lot of people, they're just in a light amount of pain because they can kind of manage their paychecks. They can make their bills. They're just not thriving. They're just kind of surviving and chugging along. But man, when you go all in and you decide, I'm going to make the sacrifices needed short term to win long term, it changes everything. It's addicting. Oh yeah. You're like, what other subscription can I cut? I live without Hulu. Can I live without Netflix? Man, I'm listening to the Ramsey podcast and it's free. I can cut all of it. Yeah. You know, I can cut the That's fancy right. gym membership and go to Planet Fitness. I can start eating <laughs> eating homemade meals that are $4 instead of eating out for 13 And you start to really do the math and go, where's all my money going? Because I work too hard to be this broke. That's when real change can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And so when it comes to change, I think there needs to be practical steps for people. So I'm familiar with what Dave calls the baby steps. Could you recap that for the audience just in case they're not familiar? Absolutely. So our brains naturally need to follow a process. And so when you're just throwing random things, it's hard to grapple what's next. And so like you mentioned, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? That's what the baby steps are. They're just small, intentional steps you do one at a time to get quick wins so that you can actually make progress. So baby step one is the foundation, and that's to save $1,000 in a starter emergency fund. A lot of people already have $1,000. Great. We're moving on. That's going to be less than 30 days. You're saving up $1,000, doing whatever it takes, selling stuff, side hustles, cutting stuff, subscriptions. They're gone. We're going to do whatever it takes. Once we have 1000 bucks, we move on to baby step two, which is paying off all consumer debt using the debt snowball method, meaning all debts, we're going to lay them out smallest to largest, ignoring the interest rate, which hurts a lot of people's brains because like, well, George, that's not smart. Yeah. Why wouldn't you pay off the highest interest first? Because that doesn't get you debt free faster. You know what it does? Hmm. Knocking out the small one. You go, oh, I got it. I felt a quick win there. I felt yeah. a little bit yeah. of hope. And it freed yeah, up a about, payment. It, yeah, and it's less about math, more about behavior, right? Absolutely. We say that money, personal finances, it's 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. So you can do the math on paper all day long, but man, how you live is really going to dictate where you end up with money. And so once you have your debt knocked out, all consumer debt, everything except the house, Well, now you have your income back, your greatest wealth building tool. Every dollar stays with you, except for what Uncle Sam has taken, right? 
Then you move on to baby step three. We're going back to that emergency fund and making it a fully funded emergency fund of three to six months of expenses. So what do we need to get by for a month? Multiply that by three or six. And depending on your lifestyle, do you have a family who depends on you? Is your job stable? A lot of factors there, but somewhere in that range. Then we have a pile of money in the bank and no debt. And that puts us in an amazing place to start investing for the future, which is baby step four. Invest 15% of your household income into retirement. Not into single stocks, not into crypto. We're talking about your 401k, <laughs> the IRAs, mutual funds, just good, solid, long-term investments. Now, George, can you speak to this a little bit? What are your thoughts on investing in cryptocurrencies, uh, NFTs, maybe some of these more volatile investments? What are your thoughts? Uh, well, as you can imagine, I, I'm risk averse and I really hate losing money, especially losing it quickly. And what I found, and I've been saying this from the beginning, I did an episode all about cryptocurrency on my podcast called The Fine Print that you can go listen to. But what I found is the people who jump into this are the types of people who have a get rich quick mentality. They have a greed mindset. And so as much as they like to say they're holding on as long term, they're looking to get that next coin that's going to make them a lot of money tomorrow because they don't want to wait 30 years like their mom and dad to see retirement. And I understand that. The, the heart behind it is great. I'm not mad at cryptocurrency. If you want to play with that, like you're going to Vegas and hitting some nickel slots, that's fine. But this is not an investment strategy. You are betting. You're playing the lottery here. And we've seen too much come out in the news. I mean, NFT sales down 92%. You bought that NFT at $100. Now it's worth $3. I mean, this is insane. Yeah. And yeah. so when it comes to crypto, we're seeing a lot of coins uh, just go bankrupt. We're seeing tons of fraud. We're seeing tons of scams. And mm. we're seeing tons of down, 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 down. And so if you yeah. got Bitcoin uh, you know, a year ago, well, it's down 80%. And so you think about yeah. seeing your 401k down 25% right now with the stock market. Think about that tripling. Yeah. Man, Absolutely. it's heartbreaking when people put their hard-earned money, their life savings into some of these coins. And, you know, I just don't want to see people get hurt. It's not a stance yeah. of I'm anti-crypto and anti-the future. I'm anti-seeing people hurt by bad financial mistakes. And so that's Ooh, my honest word. thoughts on it. If you do it, not mad at you, but please be investing 15% and be out of debt, have a pile of money, and only use fun money that you don't mind seeing burn on your kitchen table. Oh, absolutely. And that's, I think that's a big mentality with young people is, well, I don't, I don't want to wait till I'm 65. I want to be rich like right now. And the reality is, is that things that come quick, go quick. And if you got there quickly, it's less likely that you may stay there for the, the period of time that you would like to stay there. Right. And so obviously when it comes to that step four, I think you're on the idea of investing 15% of your household income going into investments. Obviously that's not crypto uh, and that's not NFTs what should people put it in? Like if you're saving all this money, where should it go? Just in a bank account? Where is it? Where should I, mm. should someone put it? Well, you know, if, if you were a, a believer, a person of faith, it's hard to not look at the Bible and go, oh yeah, the Bible says to get rich quick. Proverbs hmm. 13, 11 says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. This is the tortoise and the hare. This is saying, if you get rich quick, you're going to be broke even faster. And Dave Ramsey a testament to that. Back in the 80s, he went bankrupt. He made $4 million in real estate, had a real estate portfolio worth $4 million, and then he went bankrupt because it was built on a, on a house of sand. And so when you do this the slow way, you start investing in things with a long-term track record like the S&P 500, 
mutual funds, things that aren't super volatile, like a single stock or crypto, that's when you're going to see long-term growth. And yes, it'll be slower. You might see 8 or 10% returns instead of 100%, but you know you're not going to lose your money. It's not going to go to zero. I mean, I just had a guy message me the other day. He showed me his Robinhood portfolio went from $10,000 to $0 because he yeah. got greedy. He made a little money doing some day trading. He was excited about it. Then he got really excited with his options trading stuff. And all of a sudden, it tanked him. And he said, never mm. again. Like, you get burnt by the stove once and you never go back. But some people, that's what it takes for them to learn the lesson. And I just want to tell people, you don't have to do it the hard way. You can just invest in things like mutual funds, index funds, where you have diversified your portfolio, as we like to say. So instead yep. of investing in one company like you know Tesla or Apple or whoever it is, you can invest in several hundred companies at once. And that's what a mutual fund is. And so you're putting a little bit of money to buy a tiny piece of a whole bunch of companies that have a track record of going up and to the right over time. So that's when you yep. know you're making a wise investment that you won't regret 10 years from now, 30 years from now. Absolutely. And so that's step four. What's step five of the baby steps? So step five, uh, four, five, and six, we do together. And so one, two, three, we're doing them separately. We're paying off debt with focus intensity. We're saving up the emergency fund with focus intensity. But once we have 15% into a retirement, we got that plate spinning. Now we can save for our kid's college fund, which is baby step five. And so there's not a set number on this. It looks so different for a lot of people. Some kids go to trade yep. school. Some go right into the workforce, to the military. But to not set our kids up for success at all when we have the ability to is doing them a disservice. And so I, I want to see my kids go to college debt-free. And they might have some skin in the game. You know, they might still be working part-time while in college to create some income for their fun money or to help uh, pay for college. And it might mean we're not going to go to the $300,000 school because it's name brand and it makes us look good as parents. We have to make yep. decisions that aren't going to saddle our kids with years and years of student loan debt. And we covered this in our podcast, Borrowed Future, and our documentary called Borrowed Future, where we uncover this dark side of the student loan industry, how it's impacted so many millions of Americans, and it's held them back from starting families, from jumping into ministry. I can't tell you how many people go, hey, Dave, I want to be a missionary, but I'm broke. And we go, well, yeah. that's really hard to do. So yeah. if you really want to be able to have the freedom to do ministry, that means getting right with your finances. And that means not having $1,000 in monthly payments going to lenders. And so yep. this is you know, a George, huge thing. I, I 100% agree with you. And I think it's people always throw out the verbiage, you know, God will provide, God will provide, which is true. But he often provides through your leveraging of common sense in your life to mm. manage money in a way that honors him. And I think that's what people miss out is, well, yeah, God provides, but he's not going to cover up for all the mistakes that you made with money along the way. That's not, we don't have a genie. We have a God who he intends to be glorified in every facet of our life, not just everything else but money, right? So, as you're saying these things, and I want to get to the rest of the steps, but these steps in theory are setting someone up to have money, right? If I invest 15% of my income for a long enough time and I live within my means, I'm going to have money at one point. I'm going to, I'm going to be a millionaire at some point in my life. What do you say to somebody who's like, being rich is evil. Like people shouldn't seek wealth and seek financial prosperity. That's bad. Well, I don't think they're reading from the same Bible I am, number one. And oftentimes, truthfully, I think it's an excuse for them to stay broke and keep living how they're living and stay stay comfortable. And um, you know, the Bible says that love of money is the root of all evil, not money. Money's a tool. 
money just magnifies who you are. It just makes you more of that. So if you're a if you're a broke jerk, you're just going to be a rich jerk when you have a pile of money. And if you're a generous person who's broke, man, you're going to be so generous. We call those people philanthropists because when they get money, man, they can change communities. They can change the world. And so many times we want a, we have the heart to give, but we don't have the means. And I love for people to give their time, their talents, their resources. That's amazing. But man, what if on top of thoughts and prayers, we could leave an envelope full of cash at that person's mm. door, you know, yep. to cover the car repair? Uh, my church that I go to, we inherited $7 million of debt when we merged churches. And they had this crazy goal. They said, man, what could we do if we didn't have that debt hanging over our heads that we had to send to lenders every month? What could we do it for our community? And so they made a goal. They paid off $7 million in debt in just over a year. And out of that, man, we've created car ministries where we gift single moms with cars. We've created ministries where we support, we wrap around foster families uh, who are helping these foster kids uh, by giving them resources, covering their grocery bills, mowing their lawns. And we can do all this with this thing called money. And it takes money to do all of this. Yeah. And so it's amazing what you can do when you have not only time and talent, but also a pile of money to make some change happen in the world. So Absolutely. I just don't subscribe to this idea that wealthy people are evil because there's evil broke people too. And so you have to <laughs> go, well, that doesn't make sense. And so yeah. I, I don't believe the narrative. It's almost like a condition of the heart rather than it's a condition of your wallet. Mm, that's good. You so, should tweet that. Hey, we'll that's tweet good. That. Maybe, but, you know, maybe we'll clip, people, we'll clip that out. You, you mentioned this. You said, you know, um, about ministry. And it's interesting because there's also wisdom in the Bible. and. Proverbs says the borrower is slave to the lender in Proverbs 22, 7. And so if you look at debt as a tool to be leveraged, then it goes against the very teaching of the Bible of you are not in full control of your life if you have to report to the lender every month. Yeah. Are and, you ready for this, George? Are you ready for this, George? Then there's a school of thought then that, hey, you know, I get it. Debt can be bad, but there's there's good debt. And there's people who say, well, you know, if I can... I can finance my car, that $40,000 Tesla that I'd like, which they're more than $40,000 now. That $40,000 Tesla that I like, as long as I can invest the difference over here. So if my loan is 8%, but I make 10% over here, then I can make 2% on my money. And I, I just want to speak to the, you know, the quote unquote financial gurus who may be listening right now. Like that may be a mindset that they have. What are your thoughts on that mentality? And obviously that could be a car, that could be furniture that you're, you know, financing, whatever. Well, truthfully, I think that is justifying stupid behavior because they're saying, I want a car I can't afford and I'm going to do that in order to become wealthy on the other side. I mean, if this was a parable in the Bible, that person's coming out the other side and the master's coming back going, hey, where's my money? They're going to go, oh, uh, well, a lot of the stock market's down. And so I'll have it. It's going to come back up. There's a new crypto coin just came out and my buddy said that one's going to take off. And so I'll, I'll, I'll double your money. You just wait and see. Well, that's a, that's a recipe to be broke for a long time if you have that mentality that you're going to play the game and be a part of the system. Man, the system is predatory. The system exists to keep you broke and for them to build tall buildings downtown and sponsor stadiums. That's what they're doing yeah. with your money off your back and off the backs of people who are uh, mistreated, people in poverty, people who are naive and mis uh, undereducated. And I just saw a research study come out uh, with many people from the Federal Reserve, the 70-page research study that shows that $15.5 billion moves 
from the poor, naive, uneducated over to the sophisticated users of credit cards. So the whole study mm. on just credit card rewards and you're going, oh, but I get to go on my free vacation. Yeah, off of the yeah. backs of those people. And so like if you've what, got any moral compass, yeah. I don't know how you sleep at night knowing that. That's right. I like what Dave says about the idea of borrowing money and that you're getting ahead on it and things like that. He says, go to a bank and look at their furniture. Their furniture is nicer than your furniture. Always nicer. And, so, <laughs> and we're the ones who paid to put it in there, right? So I, I want to get to back to those baby steps because I think they're important. And I think there's hope at the end of it too in uh, step number seven, if I'm not mistaken. So obviously four, five, six are running together. What was number six, the sixth one that runs into the rest? So six is to pay off your house early. And we know that most people, they take out 30-year mortgages, and then once the 30, they'll do the HELOC, and they get the second mortgage, and they do a reverse mortgage, and so they stay in debt forever. And we don't like debt of any kind. We don't yell at you for getting a mortgage if you do a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage where the payment is no more than a quarter of your take-home pay. Okay, and I so, get that's conservative, but man, it, it's so. What, what, are, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? With houses being crazy right now, and 15 year, I mean, 15 years is a pretty big mortgage payment. You know, a lot of people may be listening to this thinking like, I'm renting for this much. How am I supposed to pay a mortgage that high? Mm, yeah. A lot what do of you say people, to people who are like, I want to get a 30 year? Like, is it is it bad? Is it? I mean, you know, it's it's not a salvation issue. So rest easy <laughs> knowing that you can still get to heaven with a 30 year mortgage. But I'll tell you this, if you get a 15-year mortgage, worst case scenario, you're debt-free in 15 years. Hmm. And I'll tell you, the people that do that rarely take 15 years to pay it off. Our study of millionaires, the biggest one ever done, over 10,000 of them, the average millionaire paid off their house in, in 11 years. And people wow. following our steps, it's closer to seven. And so you get, you get addicted to this idea of, man, what could I do if I was debt-free? How much more generous could I be? How much earlier could I retire? And that is an exciting feeling. And so you can say, I'm going to do the 30-year. I'm going to pay it off like a 15. I'm going to pay it off like a 15. There is no data that supports anyone is actually doing that. But there's a lot of data that shows that you know 100% of homes that are foreclosed on had a mortgage on them. And yes. so when you don't have a mortgage, yeah. man, you don't have anyone to report to at the end of the month. Your income stays with you. Take your mortgage payment, multiply it by 12. What could you do with that kind of money every single year? Yeah, and so, absolutely. You know, it is conservative, but I did it and I'm not special. I'm not rich. And yep. I keep meeting more and more young people who are in their 20s and 30s and their parents went through Financial Peace University and they're telling me, dude, we pay it off our house. I'm like, y'all look like, like you look like you just graduated high school. Like, yeah, we're 27 and we just, we found this plan at 16. And we went all in, man. We stayed away from debt and we got a big down payment. We paid it off fat. Man, it's amazing meeting those kinds of people. Cause I go, those are going to be the world changers. Yeah. Because they have 40 years of disposable income to affect their communities and to leave an yep. inheritance to their children's children, like Proverbs says. And those are the people that really inspire me. Absolutely. And so here's the assumption that I make to someone who's listening to this point. We're 23 minutes in. If someone's still listening, they're interested in money. Yet they may be married to dating somebody who is not. Mm. And they, they're on board. You know, George, I don't want to get in debt. I want to pay off my home. I want to be rich for the glory of God, but my spouse, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whoever does not care. They don't, they don't care about budgeting. They don't care about doing any of that stuff. They just want to spend all the money right now. What advice do you have for that person? Well, number one, I think a lot of people have a skewed view on money. And a lot of that stems from how we grew up and how our parents viewed money and the environments and was money a stress point. And so we see money as this negative thing, but we talked about this earlier. Money is a tool. It's just a brick. 
you can build a school with the bricks or you can throw it through a window and cause a lot of harm. And so if you see money as, as a brick to cause harm and it's just something negative in your life, then you're not going to make any changes. But if you see money as a tool, it changes how we view it. And so to that person who's trying to get a spouse on board, I would say you need to find a deeper why. Because if we're just getting out of debt to get out of debt because Dave Ramsey said so, well, that's a real crappy reason to get out of debt. But when you get out of debt because you said, my parents divorced because of money problems and it's never going to happen to us. When you say, I'm going to get out of debt because it's going to change my family tree and I don't want my kids to know the burden of student loan debt because I carried it. And it took me a while to get married and to buy a house because I felt like I was incapable because of this debt hanging over my head. So you need a strong why and you need to set some goals. And you say, as a couple, where do we want to be five years from now? Have a vision for your life. So many people are just wandering going, what are we doing next weekend? They're not thinking about a year from now, five years from now. So set goals in those areas. When you have that vision and that why and those goals and you understand each other, talk to each other about money. Read Rachel Cruz's book. My friend who's a Ramsey personality here, Dave's daughter, wrote a book called Know Yourself, Know Your Money. And it goes through these money classrooms that she identifies uh, of all the different buckets of the way we grew up. And was money talked about positively, negatively? Are you a free spirit? Are you a spender? Man, having that empathy helps to go, oh, you're not trying to control me. You just want us to move somewhere together as a couple. And that's a yep. very different approach versus turning Dave's name into a cuss word at your house and going, well, Dave said we need to sell the truck. <laughs> there it is. You might need that's to right. sell the truck, but that approach is not the way to do it. Instead, you go, hey, what if we didn't have to retire at 67 and rely on Social Security? Mm-hmm. What if we could retire in our 50s and go on amazing vacations and take our grandkids and leave our kids with a pile of money instead of grieving with a pile of stress and debt to deal with when yep. we go? That's a different way to look at life. And so think about your legacy. Think about that dash on that gravestone and go, what do we want to do with that dash? What kind of impact do we want to make? What kind of legacy do we want to leave? And man, your decisions start to change. And things that you thought were important in your 20s start to fade away. And you go, this is the kind of person I'm becoming. And as a spouse, I want you along this journey with me. Man, that's such a good word. And I think attention that a lot of people have, and I think that helped them a ton with it. And so... Back to the baby steps, because I think people are still like, well, what was number seven? I know if I listen to podcasts, I'm like, well, he said there were seven of them. Uh, so six is pay off the house. What's number seven? Yeah, the whole goal of these baby steps is not so that we can just like become the next Elon Musk and buy spaceships. The point is to live and give like no one else. Dave Ramsey has said for 30 years, you live like no one else. So later you can live and give like no one else. So baby step seven is build wealth and give. That's it. And it's simple. They go, well, that. That doesn't really have an an end point. Like I wanted something finite where I paid off my debt. But generosity, man, it is freeing. And we have planned generosity, right? Through tithing. If you're a believer, you should be tithing 10% through all of the baby steps. When you're broke and when you're rich, tithe 10% to your local church. Beyond that, once you're out of debt, you get this emergency fund in place. Well, now we have more margin to, to do what's called an offering, which is above and beyond the tithe. But even more fun than planned generosity is spontaneous generosity. And this is when we see the need with a friend, with a family member, with the car repair, with the single mom. We go, hey, what if we just left an envelope of cash in her mailbox anonymously to cover that repair? Man, that is, that is a God moment. And so, so many times we, we pray for things, but, you know— people around us. That's the hands and feet of Jesus. That's how we live out the gospel. And I don't think we're doing a good enough job of that as Christians. And here in Nashville, man, we got more Baptists than people. 
<laughs> and I'll tell you <laughs> the this. Ch- the church membership roles probably showcase that. And, yo, <laughs> and I, what's sad is that Nashville servers at restaurants don't want to work on Sundays. And you know why? It's because of the church crowd. Yep. They're rude, they're stingy, and they don't tip well. And if we're supposed to be leading the charge on generosity because God is a giver, he gave his only son, and so we're wired to be made in his image, then we should be leading the charge on giving. We should Mm. be setting the standard for how people should be giving across the nation, but instead people look at Christians like we're stingy. And so I want to change the personal brand of the church for sure. And that starts with getting out of debt because we don't have the margin. You shouldn't be eating out if you can't afford to tip your server for doing a great job. Good word. Good word. So get the margin in place to do that. Yeah. I even heard Dave say that eating out is entertainment. Don't confuse it. It is a luxury. You you do not need to eat out. When I was getting out of debt, all that rang through my mind was, you should not go inside of a restaurant unless you're working in it. Yes. (laughs) It's it's one of Dave's most uh, controversial quotes because Gen Z millennials were all like, what do you mean? He's not going to tell me I can't go out. I'll have no social life. It's sad. But it's a real yeah. thing, and people it's it's amazing what people latch onto and what they're unwilling Absolutely. to let go of. And that tells me there's an idol there. If you can't let go of something, you have to ask yourself, why? Why yep. am I so attached to this thing? Absolutely. So, George, with the minute that we have left, in 30 seconds, I'd love for you to give one thing that would change the financial picture for a young person. Like, if you did the one thing, that would that would set you up. That, that, would, that would be a catalyst for you. And number two, I want to ask you about your greatest financial insight. So number one, mm. what is one thing – they can do a lot of things, but what's one thing a young person can do that would really make a difference financially for them? Mm. Uh, it's, it's boring. It's tried and true. It's get on a budget because what that does is it forces you to look in the mirror and to go, I'm not living on less than I make. And it's the one thing we can control in a world that feels out of control. We can't control the economy and we're looking at the headlines and everything is just something to get riled up about. But I can control the guy in the mirror. I can control what he spends today. And that might mean making sacrifices for a period of time. But doing a budget was one of the best things for us, especially as a couple. If you're married, do this together. Do not say, well, I'm the nerd, so I'm going to do it in Excel. And she just knows that I'm taking care of it. Man, that's a recipe for financial disaster, for financial infidelity, for resentment, for control issues. And so do a budget. And if you need an accountability partner, if you're single, do that. And go through Financial Peace University and learn all of this stuff because we all are mad because schools didn't teach us this. They taught us the Pythagorean theorem that molten rock is called magma, but they didn't teach us how to do our taxes. (laughs) They didn't teach us how to balance the budget. And so we need to educate ourselves so that we can step into what God, God has called us to do. Good word. And George, last question for you. What is the greatest financial insight that you feel like maybe you've ever learned or maybe are learning right now? Mm. I think the biggest one for me is changing in the way I saw money and I continue to see money and realizing that the money is not mine. I'm managing this for God. I am a steward of what God has entrusted to me. So if you make $40,000, God has given you $40,000 to manage. And that vantage point, that filter changes the way you make every decision when it comes to your money. So if you are a person of faith, you are a believer, this is a game changer. Uh, And it's so freeing because if I have a million dollars or I have $10, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make me better than anyone. It just means I have more to manage for God. 
And so there's more responsibility. And God generally doesn't give you more if you're not managing what you have currently. If you're mismanaging that money, why would you expect to be blessed with more? That doesn't make any sense. And so it's amazing what happens when you get control of this money. We see this when people do their debt-free scream. They say, man, I got a hold of this stuff. I started getting real disciplined. And all of a sudden, I got a raise at work. And I lost 30 pounds because I started getting disciplined in other areas because I was paying attention because I wanted to be a better steward of what God has entrusted me. And we do this with money. We do it with marriage. We need to do it across our whole life. But man, money is holding us back from having the margin to do it in those other areas. Absolutely. Well, George, I appreciate you being on, man. You are a tank and a wealth of wisdom, and we appreciate you a ton. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you for what you're doing with this podcast, man. It means a lot.